Well, Comrade Spanger, we're, we're going to the Russian Revolution. Uh, we're I mean, acting we, it out here. We're, right we're going to act it out. Right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I better clean up after we're done. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, my goodness. There's going to be lots of blood. Um, uh, so this was something you really wanted to get into mm -hmm. as we were unpacking critical theories. Uh, you really felt, sold me on the idea that w w I think we have to look at the Russian Revolution. And, and, I, and I think that's it's an insightful observation you've got because I don't know necessarily when I read the history of critical theory, does the Russian right. Revolution get a lot of text. Sure. Um, but as you pointed out, it surely does get a lot of ink spilled by the progenitors yeah. of Frankfurt School and critical theory. And it's... It's either it's a it's a learning moment. It's right. it's something to evaluate and and figure out how we move forward. Um, and so I, I don't think critical theory and automatically think Romanovs, <laughs> right? right? Uh, but Lenin, yes, and Stalin. That's that's we can get to that sure, a little bit sure. later. But um, but the Russian Revolution is somewhere that would certainly inspire the critical right. theory people, right? Because they're scratching their head thinking, why didn't we get our Soviet revolution in Germany? <laughs> right, right, right. Why did those filthy Russian peasants get it? <laughs> right, and we, we didn't, didn't it, right? right? I mean, that, and they would almost say as much yeah, that, yeah. that they were almost offended that they, yeah, <laughs> they, they got did. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, when it became Stalinism, then they quickly realized, yeah. okay, this revolution's not what we were thinking. Right. That's not the one we want. Right. Um, so can you kind of help us understand how Lenin plays a role in how we make sense of critical theories right. and this, what we're calling the DNA and evolution of the movement. Right. Yeah, it, it's true that I think even coming into this study, I don't know that I made a strong connection between the Russian Revolution because I think of it in political historical terms. Yeah. World War One, and, you know, how, to, how, to, how does Lenin, you know, build a new state and all in those political terms. But I think what we, what we miss, and if you look at a lot of the people that, as you say, the progenitors of critical theory, a lot of them were living in this very heavily nationalistic time between the two world yeah. wars. Yeah. So the options were this this heavily nationalistic, centralized government of you know Germany, France, whatever the case may be. But then you had this Lenin, who for, in their minds was this entirely different alternative, say an American Revolution, which creates uh, rule of law and the status quo, where you've got these nationalistic revolutions. Lenin is not just, in, in my mind, I think this is what I'm seeing in a lot of the writing, for them, Lenin was not just creating a new state. Lenin was creating a new ideal for society mm. in a way that there was no parallel for. Um, now, Lenin himself looks back to the Commune of 1871 in France as probably the, the you know, founding moment of his own ideological sure. revolution. But in, in these cases, and this is, this is Mark where I find it really intriguing, that, that Lenin in his revolution that he's leading is intending to actually create a new society and a new culture. And I think of whatever defines us, we say cultural Marxism now, we use that word yeah. instead of critical theory. There's a sense in which it needed to be recognized as a possibility that, that you could look across human history and say, everything was done as, you know, oppression, oppression oppressor and the oppressed. We, we use that when we talk about critical theory. All of history was done that way, not politically, but it was done culturally. Something in the way societies are set up, their art, their music, um, their values are set up in an oppressive way. You can say that all you want, but there's no alternative to that right. until Lenin. And whether Lenin works or doesn't work, and we have our own, you know, obviously, sure. criticisms of Lenin, I think what the critical theorists were saying was a real revolution can't just be something that's done on the political level. 
It's got to get down to the cultural level. Yeah. And there's really not many examples of that happening. No. Right. Until, and you could say maybe the French Revolution, there was a blip of time in the 1790s and maybe the Paris Commune in the 1870s. But it's Lenin that actually took that concept and actually made it work. Mm. And this is, this is something I want to tie back to something you were just saying, Dr. Draper, because I think this is a key connection point. For the critical theorists, that thing that Lenin did, and we'll talk about that, came at a point in history. And we've talked about this Hegelian dialect, yeah. right? Yeah. That time is evolving. And the fact that that might be that, in a sense, this is triggering the eschaton, right? In other yeah, words, sure. Lenin's realizing it now makes it actually possible. And maybe for the sake of our reader, listeners, because it's been a while, how, how do we... I think the critical theorists do this. They put it as a historical progression yep. coming out of where we've been. And maybe just a quick look at Hegel to help us and remind us, how do we see that if we're seeing this in Hegelian worldview? Yeah, in Hegelian terms, um, the dialectic is ready to be pushed forward. Right, right. It's, right. it's exactly. time. Uh, this, that, that maybe the war becomes right. a, a tool by which we use to move the ball down the field, as it right. were. Use a p- p- Hegelian football analogy. <laughs> um, but, but yes, I mean, so, uh, or is it almost like don't let any t- catastrophe go to waste, right? right? right. That, that, that this is, there's space for it. Because I, I think what's interesting, too, I always, I remember I had a professor in college, and we were studying the Communist Manifesto, and he, he pointed this out to us, how at the end of the manifesto, Marx calls for the working classes to revolt, right? Mm. And the irony of it is that the very people he's talking to are actually in the trenches shooting at each other right, right, in World right, War I, right? right? And, and, and so if you are somebody who, and I don't think this guy was a Marxist, he was just observing, um, but I think if you look at that and think, oh my word, this revolution's not happening. Mm-hmm. In fact, the very people who Marx thought should be rising up are shooting for the capitalist interests. Right, right. So how do we move the dialectic if this is what's happening? Right. Uh, and I think maybe what Lenin does, and, and this will certainly play for the critical theory, is that, well, Marx and Hegel, they're kind of right. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this sort of natural, natural, yeah. but sometimes it needs a little help. That's right. Uh, you know, kind of like post-millennialists who think Jesus needs their help to, to, to bring, <laughs> bring things kingdom, about, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, or somebody who wants to blow up the Temple Mount because they think Allah needs their help to get <laughs> right, right, the eschatology right. going. So, but this does become yeah. almost official idea for this Hegelian Marxist right. critical movement that at times, sometimes you just have to advance it. Right. And I think, too, you can speak to this, too. Russia is really not the place you would expect the dialectic <laughs> right, to move. Right, right, right. Uh, it, it's pretty backward. Yeah. No, that's true. And this and this is where I made Lenin is, is the most important to me for the critical theorists is the terms of the revolution, if we, let's say, take a Marxian terms, it was economics, right? Like you say, you had, you had to get to industrialization before you could finally get to this new sort of utopic ideal. And then there are some others that were probably more nationalistic, socialistic models who you see pretty common in the 19th century. Um, there's several of them. I don't want to mention them all. But the idea that an, a, there has to be a nationalistic political organization, even I think Hitler has this sort of post-mill view that he's driving an evolution of the state, yes. Hegelian in that regard, right? Hegel said state is the march of God through the world. So the terms of this this, evol- this Hegelian evolution has always been in the terms of either economics or politics. And I think what Lenin is doing 
And he obviously can't do it in economics because there's no industrialization. He's not doing it in politics in a sense because he's establishing himself as the new tyrant of the Russian state. <laughs> right. But, right. But he is doing it, I think, and this is where it's very influential, in cultural terms. Like he's changed the terms of the Hegelian progression. So the progression is no longer just a political evolution. We'll go from whatever kind of monarchy to whatever Napoleon. It's actually now the culture. You can change the terms. So the way that people relate the values, the artwork, the music, the language reflects a worker's utopic or a worker state or a worker society. Right. And you're supposed to live with those cultural values. Like, and, this, and that's, I think, where critical theory has had its biggest impact in the West, is that it's alternated the terms of tyranny from political or economic terms into cultural terms. Absolutely. Right. What, yeah. you know, what um, um, the, the Marxist, the Italian Marxist Gramsci will eventually call hegemony, yeah. I think, based on Lenin's own revolution. Yep. That true tyranny happens not through the gun and not through the dollar bill. It happens through the popular song on the radio station, yep. through the Sunday school class that tells you this is morally good or morally bad. The real terms of oppression are cultural. And I think where Lenin had his greatest impact was he realized a revolution that did just that. Well, and, and, and again, I don't think Gramsci's completely wrong because isn't he in some ways saying what our friend Charles Taylor says, right? Right. That, these are the types of things that shape the social imaginary. Right, right. And so if you don't get at that, do That's you true. really get a change? Right. Um, you can legislate change. You can shoot your way to change. <laughs> but until you change the hearts and minds of the people, yeah, you won't really get that sort yeah. of, again, and, and maybe, maybe to use Hegelian terms, it takes that type of change to truly take a group and undo their alienation right for them to actually be part of the community right. in some way right. but you're you're right the i think the the sort of grandiose idea and again my, my yiddish the chutzpah <laughs> the thing we can actually just create a, a reality right i think that's what you're it seems yeah, like that's, that's right. what you're getting no, out of lenin is that we can create reality with if we control the arts we control the music we control even the color schemes that's right you can actually control the reality that people are living in yeah. and it, it's all and, and you know something that that is so Kantian <laughs> because it, mm. if Kantians tell if Kant is telling us that we create the truths mm. right that that you know in the in the phenomenal you know we're, we're kind of yeah. shaping the jelly jars right right well why can't we shape the reality that's right I mean you, you can you could see where you could go that that way yeah. that you can redo reality right and then it's it's it, again it's it's sort of Nietzschean in that way. But if you have the power, you have the control, you can remake right. the reality right. if, if you actually believe that, right? right? Because in a material culture, whoever controls the material, I guess that's they right. win. That's right. No, that's good. And I think the other the other tie in here, which is why you have to get from Kant to get here at some point, is they ultimately whether it is accessible or not, the transcendent has no impact on this, right? So you could say, well. The Tsarist state is, is inerrant, but they were trying to do what was what representative of God, uh, the Orthodox Church, the history of Russia. There's all these transcendent concepts, and you'd say, we can explain the flaws of the Russian state by saying they're doing the best they could yeah. right, in this reality. But once you accept the fact, as certainly Lenin does, that they're in this closed box universe, those we used to say, right, the, uh, yeah, the, Tupperware. the Tupperware top has been put on, then the only evaluation is whether or not power is being exercised in temporal space or not. And Correct. once you say that, then you can look around and you can find power exercised everywhere. You would normally say, yeah, power is being exercised, but that's because ultimately God is in government and he's bequeathed these responsibilities to my government, to my church, to my dad. But if that's capped off, 
then now the exhaustive dimensions of power mm -hmm. and good and bad are entirely within this level plane out here. Yep. And I think then you get the imagination, as you say, the social imaginary of a Lenin to recognize that the power structure itself is not politics, but culture, yeah. language and art. Ben, the only way to correct humanity is you have to correct those things. And well, you correct them for pragmatic reasons. How do I get more equality? How do I fix social problems? And that, if you, if you sort of put yourself in Russia in the late 19th century, in some cases, I think that's what the Romanov dynasty is trying sure. to do too, right? They're, they're trying to create some sort of romanticism about yeah. the monarchy and the Russian people. And I'm your father, yeah, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and that's contrived as well. <laughs> right, right. Okay, that's that. I mean, he might actually believe that, but, yeah. you know, the serfs are your children. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, in other words, if you look at that and you kind of say, okay, well, what's the difference if I just create a different reality? Because yeah. this is a fiction. Right. Uh, and, and obviously it didn't work. Uh, because no one came to the aid of the czar. <laughs> right, right. Right? Yeah. So yeah. the fiction didn't work. Right. Um, it, had, it, it had been it, failing for yeah, a good oh, hundred failing years. For, yeah, yeah. And, and due in part to his ineptness. Sure. Uh, but he really did have this romantic notion right. that yeah. I'm the father of Russia right. and we are all brothers and yeah, yeah, this yeah. whole thing. And, and you look at it and you say, well, this is all built on a house of cards. Yeah. Uh, and again, proof in the pudding being, well, if you're the father, why aren't your children coming to save you? <laughs> right. they, you know, they're, 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 they're lining up to see who gets to machine gun you down. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's true. And, and, and I think, you know, there's this sense, and we can be critical of it now, it ought to be, um, is that the failed attempts of the past, let's say Tsarist Russia, or let's say the monarchies of Europe, were trying to say that their exercise of power was in the long line or train of something that had been established, right? And so... They, yeah, you're right. In one sense, we can say any human power is, in a sense, made, right? Yeah, They're making right. it for themselves. Um, they believe, I think they believed, as, as Tsar Nicholas, for all of his flaws, believed that he was doing it in line with what the state had always been in Russia, which yes. sometimes we know that's not also true. But it's interesting to me that the difference, although the tools are the same, and you know, historians have noted that when Lenin comes into power with the Bolsheviks in 1917, 1918, he is exerting all of the tools that Nicholas had developed, right? Yeah. The secret police that he actually puts into place is, in fact, the same secret police structure that's, that Tsar Nicholas developed, yeah. uh, second, and his father, in order to try to deal with, you know, the, the uprisings of the, of the radicals. Right. So that already been in place. Lenin doesn't do anything different in a sense, does right. the same. But the justification is, and I think this is where for the critical theories it matters, even if Lenin's a failure, is that ultimately, is that he based all of this on an ideal view of what society could be for equality rather yeah. than historic tradition. And this is just who we, who we always have been. Or yeah. we'll justify it by the church or we'll justify it by orthodoxy. And, and I, I think this is to, to, to see the true value of Lenin not in the bloodiness of his revolution is there aren't many examples of someone that tried to build a state or a culture on entirely ideal grounds, right? Yeah. Like what, what, not how has it looked and how do we stay in line with all these traditions? How ought society to look top to bottom? And we're going to carve out everything czarist and ancient and we're actually going to purify the space and yep. make an ideal society. Yeah. That, that is a tremendous thing for precedent's sake. Because when yes. Mao Zedong wants to do this in China or Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, like there's a model now of someone that succeeded at it, yes. even though Stalin may have butchered it at some point, right. that gives them the right to say, yes, you see, history is ready, and I think you're right in that Hegelian sense, right? We're ready at this point. Yep. We can make it happen now. Because Lenin tore one of the oldest, most ancient, most stable regimes in history, yeah. theoretically, to pieces, and in, in what? Months 
in a sense, built this regime that was totally antithetical, not in the practice of it, yeah. but in the rationale of it. Yes, yes, yes. It, 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 well, what it does is it, it, it gives you the idea of human agency yeah, right, to right. make the world. Yeah, right, and remake it. And, 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 and remake make and remake it. Yeah. And, uh, and again, you don't actually, you might have a general idea of where you think it should go, but you don't have to be sure. Yeah, right. right? right you just right. have to have generalities. Right. And... And some of it is the reaction against the old world. I think that's, right. that's so important yeah. to this, right? right? That this is another case where the old world is being rejected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that happens in our revolution. That's going to happen in the French Revolution. Sure. Uh, this is going to be very different because I don't think the American Revolution, did they see themselves remaking reality? Yeah, that's right. Um, but explore that a little because you brought that up before. We were talking about hegemony and culture. You're taking that a step further and saying what Lenin is doing here is trying to recreate or reconstruct reality, which is a pretty heavy term. Yeah. What do you mean by I, I, I think reality? I'll, I'll this is this is actually how the world is. Oh right. 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 Like this this is actually how it is. Like right. this 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 was all built on a house of cards. Now we're to right. where it really is. Or um, I, I almost feel like when you think of like nineteen eighty four and 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 Orwell's getting at that right mm-hmm. that you can change the language and try to change reality. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, you can say, well, it's 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 not that anymore. It's this. Right. We don't even use that term anymore. Right. Um, so what was what? You know, again, a classic example is 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 in our culture today when we you in our lifetime to see how language has changed over gender and sexuality. Yeah, that's right. It almost sounds like a different reality yeah. than when we were growing up, right. right? And well, you can't use that term anymore. That that's not that term's not okay anymore. Right. And this term is okay. And you know, and, and and as I had said before, the the very idea that I go to the doctors, I go to the urologist, mm. and the sign on the wall says, "Well, this treatment is for men, people with prostates." <laughs> right. Right. So we can't even use the word man anymore. Right. right? right. It's 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 a new reality. Right. Um, and so I, I think that's something we get from the the critical theory people mm-hmm. they pick that up that you can reconstruct right. reality um, based on how you view the world well and that and that to me makes sense of what Lenin I think you know and you could say this in in the czarist rich society that Russia was that you know to create a anything of egalitarian society you have to upend the entire historical let's use Taylor's words imagination imaginary yeah. in order to do that um, in your thinking. You know the way that the way that Lenin goes about this, right? He he, you know, Russian the Germans release him back into Russia, sure, you know, sure. to bring it into war. Um, and the way that he then comes in with the Bolsheviks and try to it sounds rather political that he's doing it. But in one sense, I think you're right. I think the vision that he has for Russia, there's no precedent for in 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 Russia at all. So how does he go about like like in this political revolution recreating reality? What are some of the terms in this new reality that are going to matter to Lenin? That I do think becomes some of the some of the starting points for then how the critical theory will take on. What kind of things is Lenin doing? Do you think? To yeah, well, reimagine you, that. You, this is something we we talked about as we were thinking about this. Is that he gets to define who the oppressors are? That's right. Right, yeah, and point. and as the this my line is, you know, the oppressors in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> right, right, very right? accurate. And, yeah. and so I think that's that's a big part of this, right? Yeah, in this new true. reality. Um, who and who is who is the oppressed and who isn't the oppressed? Right. Uh, and and also in creating the re, the new reality, um, you you can say, in Lenin's case, you can be well. Well, uh, Ivan, didn't you just become 
a new oppressor. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. I might have to use some handy, heavy-handed tactics, but the end goal is to That's right. liberate everybody. Right, right. This is good for you. Right. The checker <laughs> now becomes the, yeah. The, yeah, so, you know, the people who thought, oh, this is going to be a worker's paradise, and now you're arresting them mm-hmm. because they're not playing along right. with where you want to go. Um, so I, I think what, you, what you're also getting at, too, is that in this revolution, because it's more controlled, mm-hmm. because it's more manufactured and it's we're going to shape reality. Mm-hmm. Go back to the American Revolution, mm-hmm. where I would argue that the American Revolution happens. And what we start to get in simplistic terms is two nationalisms develop at the same yeah, time and yeah. compete with each other. Right. 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 We get this sort of Yankee northern. Yeah nationalism and sort of this southern slavocracy nationalism and and they have to kind of go at it that's right and uh the war sorts it out where here it's like we're not doing that yeah right we're 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 gonna manufacture this we're gonna you know this would be as if you know the the, that lincoln just got into office and said okay we're you know we're not even gonna wait for him to secede (laughs) you know we're going in (laughs) right and we'll just wipe this thing out because we just won't be this yeah um yeah, that's true. It, it's funny. It's and I, maybe this is a, a feature that we see in the critical theory, which makes sense connecting to Lenin. Is there's what what Americans always prized, right? Is compromise of interest, interest debating yes. around the table because we don't know exactly, and, and maybe this is right. Even even you know um, Lincoln trying to protect the South in some ways yep. initially, and but but in this, you're right. If if what he's doing, and I and I I think that term helps me because if you one of the things, let's go to the oppressor language you just used. One of the things that Lenin does, right, very early on in the revolution is redefine the moral terms of good and evil. Yeah. And good and evil, you could say, typically reflect um, ultimate standards. Well, this is good. So lying is bad. Well, lying in service to the state is now good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And lying and telling the truth against the state is now evil. And, and you see this with Lenin, who, you know, what he does is purges of the military rate in, what, 1918, or, uh, 1918, 19, 1919. Rate, you know, rate is a war is but still they're in tough shape. But he purges the military because he needs them to be in service to the state. And so the trials are not to discover truth. Yes. Right? Is someone guilty? Yes. They're simply to exert the force of the state, right, to make sure that everyone stays in line. Well, Lady Liberty's not blind. Right, right. Lady no, in this case, is, no. Lady Liberty she works for the state. She's got a magnifying glass. Yeah, that's right. She yeah. works for the state. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah. That, and that's how we know, right? Yeah. That's the that's that's it. That's that's how this... That's So her, her goal is to keep an eye out for the state. That's right. As it's defined by these that's right. people. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so really at some point now it becomes... The, the interest of the state becomes the sole moral interest. And Which so is if you're very not, Hegelian. Right, right. right. I think the state's right. going to do this for Yeah, the state's going to do this for The state has to do this for us because... The church can't do it. Right. Uh, the, the people can't do right. it. Uh, because we know what happens when we let the church run things. Right. 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 So we can't have that. I mean, that's the whole, pro- that's the birth of the Enlightenment. Yeah. So you can kind of see this sort of idea. Um, so it's, it's, it is very different. It, it is manufactured. It's, we're right. going to control this revolution right. uh, and, and, and move it the way we want to move that's it. That's right. By and I, I always go back to you know reading 1984 and, and sort of the different way he talked about different language that would be in this world, mm. this type of speak and that type of speak. That that's really what I mean by re, reshaping mm. reality, mm. right? That's that you can do that in, yeah. in this sort of controlled right. revolution in this way, and it goes back to I think where the critical theory people are going to look at. Lenin and what they're going to see the genius is oh 
he's right. Hmm. Hegel and Marx were wrong. Hmm. This thing doesn't move on its own. That's right. Yeah. So you got to make it move, yeah. right? You've yeah. got to construct it. You yeah. might have to take a hammer to the gears and push this thing. That's right. And therefore, that gets into Gramsci's right. long march through the institutions and, and like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're going to shape this thing because it's not going to happen naturally. That's right. Um, it's going to take something radical and powerful right. to push it. Right. Yeah, that's a good point because I think critical theory is very much the status quo is itself um, self-reinforcing, right? If you leave the status quo alone, whatever it is, it's always going to reinforce its own right to rule. So this, and the status quo can very creatively and imaginatively allow progress. Even Marx was worried about that. You know, yeah. you give workers uh, unions, uh, then you, you pacify them in place. And so they're not willing to actually take the next step to revolution. But, but even that, still, there's economic things that will trip that and force it forward. Yep. Where in the cultural view, I think that Lenin's developing, and you're right, I think that Frankfurt School develops, is that culture is something you have to manufacture actively. Yep. And, and it's interesting, you and I have, have looked at this, and we've looked at Cold War materials, that the, there is a definite artistic style to the Leninist yes. revolution. And yes. Lenin employs, we'd say propagandist. I think that's a wrong word in my mind. I, I like this reality inventors, right? That, yeah. that you start pictorially and, and through the style you choose, you actually create a worker's perspective of the world, so-called, yep. yep. um, that actually reimagines the aesthetic. Yep. It reimagines sentimentality, right? All of the key parts of our human interactions are now reinforced and defined by yep. a certain set of values. Um, and that is supposed to drive this cultural change through all Russian society. And, yeah. of course, where it, where it ran afoul was if you had a thick culture that was not communistic, i.e. the Orthodox Church, yep. or the rural, and, and we know this now looking back, that those who are probably pro-Slav Eastern were not all that thrilled with this idea of a Western communism <laughs> no, inserting no, no. itself into yeah, Russia. Yeah. Um, that's why the Civil War happens mostly in the eastern parts of the, of the country. Right. Um, but, but that clarifies really for me why this is so contentious. This wasn't just about you have power and I want it. This is who has the right to change reality and that's define right. it. Mm -hmm. And for the whites, not racially white, but the pro-Czarist white, yeah. they wanted terms still in traditional, conventional, exactly. orthodox, yep. Right. This is the great glory of Russia sort of terms. And we'll see this later in Mao, too. I don't know if we'll get to it as much here. But anytime those traditional terms define reality, it's oppression automatically. E even if it leads to a good society or things are better, it's right. oppression. Well, because of what it supports, what it buttresses. Right. Right. And, and, and so I think the what I what I'm hearing from you in this is. We've we've given talks on this. We've given papers on nationalism. We've talked right. a lot about nationalism. And, and, and when you have a nationalism construction, whether it evolves or whatever, how we yeah. want to do it, the, certain cultural artifacts are very important to That's it. That's right. Uh, religion, uh, certain values hold mm -hmm. by the culture, documents. As you said, language. Language. Yeah. They're all so much part of what creates this. I know this term gets through crazy, but imagine community yeah, yeah, and yeah. national in this point. So when you strip that stuff away, like for instance, when I look at that sort of almost, sometimes it looks almost cartoonish hmm. Soviet style right, art, right. you know, it looks like Karl Marx is a cartoon. <laughs> right. Um, but when you, when you strip the church hmm. from Russia, Mm. which in many ways had given it some of its aesthetic. That's right. You have to replace it with something. That's right. you, you, so in other words, you have to manufacture a nationalism. You have to manufacture a civil theology. An imagined community. And, and an imagined yeah. community yeah. and all of these types of things where the, the, uh, 
the bourgeois and the elite, they're out. Right. They're no longer right. part of the imagining community. That's right. They're the problem. That's right. Um, Yesterday, they were probably heroes and champions of the imagining community. Exactly. Russia. Exactly. Now they're the enemies of the state. Where, where I think maybe a good juxtaposition in America, I, I've said this in classes and in, in conferences, I think you could actually write a history of America in just using this imagining community idea and tell the story of how the imagining community has gotten bigger. Hmm. In other words, you know, you first you start off with a very small group of people who are right, allowed in, right, and then right. it starts to grow, and um, you sort of get an open yeah. exceptionalism or an openness. That that's sort of been the story of America. Yeah. Where this is, we're going to actually sort of control yeah. <laughs> what the imagined community is, because we're going to control the artifacts, we're yeah, going to control yeah, the religion, yeah. we're going to control it. So it's it's the irony in this. As two of us who have written dissertations arguing against social control, <laughs> right. developed by Marxist historians, right. is there's nothing more social control yeah. than reconstructing reality. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's the opinion. It's, it's like you're, we're social control by having revivals. Right. Yeah. There's right. nothing compared there's to There's no machine it. guns telling you have to go to the yeah. revival, right? Right, right? So it's. But that leads to a really. That's, that's a key question. I don't know that we can answer it here today, but if I were to say, where's. Where sometimes where's the big question mark in the middle of critical theory is also the same question mark that lies right in the middle of say Leninist Marxism. Why? Like, what's the like what's the goal that you're hoping to achieve that that supersedes all of these other examples? So now we want to cancel everyone that says things against this. Like that sounds rather repressive and controlling and confining, but there's a big like value that they're after that must be worth it to want to go through all of that. And I think when you get to critical theory, and we have to look at the Frankfurt School specifically, they have values, things about you know, natural man and the freedoms of the individual in society. Um, for, for Lenin, it's hard to say at the end of the day, this is when we've achieved the good, right, this, this beautiful new reality. What's the marker that you've arrived there? I think one of the, one of the parts that defines both Lenin and the critical theorists in this is that this is just what history is doing. Yep. This is just where history is going. And you're on the right side of this, which is going to take us up forward to better complexity and a better society, or yeah. we're going to go backwards. And I think that's important to sort of conceive of, because when you get to the critical theorists and you say, okay, fine, let's just assume for the second world, we're all in oppressed society. What are we headed towards that, mm -hmm. that, that makes sense of this? You get very few answers. And I'm not even sure from Lenin, you clearly got answers as to what that's aside, other than a worker's paradise or something along those right, lines. Right, right. It's hard to define what it is they were actually after. Because I don't think they know. Is it, do you think that's true? I, I think they're dissatisfied, as you were talking, I think they're dissatisfied with what I'll say is the now. <laughs> whatever the current moment is, right? They're dissatisfied with it for whatever reason. Yeah. And they're, 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 they're attempting to look dissatisfaction, for... Dissatisfaction, yeah. Dissatisfaction yeah, becomes yeah. The, the, the engine that drives this. And, and whatever that is. And so whether it's Marcuse... Uh, or, or take someone like um, uh, like Foucault, right? He he's dissatisfied mm, because mm. Uh, it, it, it's still looked down upon to hang out in the bathhouses, right? right? right and and right. so he wants a world where that's okay. Yeah. Um, or I think there's a lot of this that that's is good. sort of that yeah. they're dissatisfied with the Does way it feel the world like is. Enough though. I mean, like I. I get that, and I've taught that actually out loud before. Yeah, and I've said, yeah. this is more to do with a criticism of what they don't like than a statement of what they do like. Yeah. But, and, and, and I think that's true, but when I sometimes look at least the Leninist Revolution, if we're going to stay there for a minute, 
I, it is tough yet for me to believe that Lenin would do all of this simply based on a negative opinion of Russian tradition society. You know, like, well, yeah, that's yeah. so bad. We have to go through all of this. It seems like somewhere there had to have been a, and boy, this is really what it's going to look like. I, I mean, I'm not sure I can find one. Right. But, but you, well, you're right. I mean, any, well, think of it this way. If I'm dissatisfied with the current moment and I'm willing to act against mm-hmm. it, I'm assuming my actions will at least, uh, nullify my dissatisfaction yeah yeah yeah. and 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 because what 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 all of these guys have in some way is some sort of even if it's nebulous ought Mm -hmm. they all have it what is that that's that's the hardest thing to get at it's it's, well it's morally clear enough to kill people right you have to arrive at something can can i can i can i wax theologically Is, is this just sort of a a uh and it's how I, 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 I shape this. It's sort of a um, an attempt to bring about yeah. shalom, right? Which sounds crazy. Yeah, you know, it yeah. sounds nuts right. to say that Lenin wants shalom, but he does in yeah. some way, some version of it. And, and and I gotta think that part of the revelation, the Romans one part, the suppressing mm. of the truth mm. is you know it's not right. <laughs> You know, down down deep, it's something's not right, and you yeah. want to fix it. Right, right. But you you obviously don't want to have to kowtow to Yahweh, yeah, yeah. or rely on the traditions of the past because they seem to be what got you there. Yeah. So we're going to remake this. Yeah. And and where's the where does it end? I mean, yeah. so for instance, you could say, well, Marx wants a classless society. Yeah. Uh, I would say queer theory today wants a genderless society. And then the question becomes, okay, now what? Right, then what? All right. Yeah. And, you know, I remember having this conversation. I was um, I was looking at PhD programs. I had an opportunity to take a trip out to Notre Dame uh, and meet with Mark Knoll mm-hmm. and had this great conversation with a number of professors out there. And it was interesting. Mark Mark Knoll, George Marston, mm-hmm. these guys were at Notre Dame. Yeah, right? yeah, they, yeah. They, they, the Catholics put out a welcome mat yeah, to the Protestants. Right, right. And and they liked it. And and. They, I remember this conversation, and again, this is 2006, so we're still postmodern, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're not full critical. <laughs> Wish we could yet. go back to those. Days. Yeah, well, it does seem like a glory days <laughs> yeah, at, right. at some point. The 90s seemed tame. Hey, my goodness gracious! Um, because there was this idea then that uh, because we're postmodern now, we can all get around the table, right? The Catholic around the table, Some the, neutrality. The, the, area. Yeah, there's a neutrality. But I remember this 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 professor saying this, and he wasn't opposed to this experiment Mm -hmm. but he said what we have to figure out is once you got mark knoll george marsden the catholic priest the jewish professor Mm -hmm. the muslim professor and they're all around the table what are they going to do yeah like does the muslim (laughs) guy start handing out cards are we going to play poker i remember him saying that like that part hasn't been talked about what do we do and and so i think sometimes this is the the idea is you're so excited about this moment yeah. That you haven't really thought out like, okay, well, what are you going to actually do with right. that? You're just so excited to get a seat at the table or you're so excited to overthrow the czar and yeah. start it right. Right. You haven't really thought it through. Uh, I mean, yeah. as we are recording this, there is a war going on in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And one of the big questions is if Israel knocks off Hamas, 
Then, then what? what? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's what everybody's saying. Yeah. Well, then what? Right. And they're like, well, we're just here to get rid of Hamas. Right. Right. And, and so I think sometimes in, in human history, mm. we see that. We see these revolutions for this. Yeah. And then, well, then what? Right. Yeah, I think that's true. It, it, it just seems unsatisfying, obviously, as a movement. It seems unsatisfied as an evaluation, too. Like, boy, does that really give you enough to explain the lengths to which Lenin and, let's say, critical theorists are going to deconstruct all of culture? And, and you're right. I think I think to me that's one of the main things. I can't deny that. I think there's a couple other. Well, I think the evolutionary one is an important one because you hear it come up so often. And even in the critical theorists themselves, they and, and I'd say this about evolution. I remember having um, um, a debate with uh, Ron Sider, just a discussion uh, at a table. He came to speak at the college and we went out to dinner afterwards as a thank you to him. And, and he said, I just don't get conservatives who are worried about rule of law. It just seems so stupid to me. Like just just accept change. And I said, that, I said, it might be the difference that an evolutionary mindset says, if you break it, it always gets better. Right? I mean, that, I mean that's what you need. So if, however the status quo is, if you shake it up and alter the pieces of it and destroy things, then broken things always lead to further evolution. I said, well, there's a conservative view of that, which says that institutions and nations are very delicate. And if they break, they don't rebuild. Right? They don't reheal. Edmund Burke. Right, Evan Burke. And I think, I think where this sort of from the French Revolution forward really runs down this road that maybe Hegel's given us is that the, 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 the pull towards whatever, maybe to say utopia is a negative way, but to pull towards this ideal future is so strong that in the dialectic, all you need is something to go wrong and wrong becomes right because yep. breaking it means leading it to the next step. And, and I think that and then I think also this idea that sort of Rousseau develops, I think Marx and Lenin sort of rely on is that there's a satisfaction of the individual that's just natural that's been obscured by tradition culture education all of these cultural things they didn't like and there's almost a sense that if you break those things the individual will finally be unleashed and so you see this a lot i think and maybe i'm reading backwards mark you can tell me mm -hmm. from the critical theorist if i think of like eros um and civilization by marcuse yeah there's almost this idea the individual is not fully satisfied until the chains of civilization have been broken around them and they can kind of live their their urges again that there's something natural and it almost seems like lenin is saying yeah creating this ideal state's never existed before because all of history is so corrupt by cultural control that once you strip that stuff away they'll be like the then what you're saying the then there'll be what satisfaction self-fulfillment yeah Something, but it never it never happens. Yeah, and so we always have to go after the next inequality that's keeping us down. And that goes back to our talk with Hegel, right? And this is this is maybe the challenge for us. And and I, I had this challenge with teaching Hegel to my students here at a a, a Christian college, uh, kids who are raised Christian, who whether they realize it or not. Um, have a they've imbibed to tell us yeah they have yeah and and so their first question is well how does he know where it's going to go right. right right i said see you're thinking like a christian yeah Would you stop doing stop that, that. Dump stop that stop that we're like, never going to get anywhere <laughs> because you're assuming right. you're assuming there's something as this objective truth out there yeah, that's right. that you can discover yep. right yep. these guys are not writing the declaration of independence right yeah, they're more right. radical than jefferson that's right and and i said the the the, the, the goal is to be and that's live right. into the being. That's right. And you look back in the past, and that's how you track your your progress. That's right. Uh, but even the way you're viewing the past is from a, from a perspective, but they don't want to understand that. That's right. And, and, and so that's where maybe, and we definitely see this in the critical theory, they don't want to tell you where it's going. Yeah. Right? And this is another thing, and I jotted this down as we were talking. I think it's hard for people like you and me 
who uh, we're historians, we try to construct a narrative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we do theology, we try to make sense of who God is mm -hmm. and, and, and how we live that out. It's such a different paradigm than deconstructionists, mm -hmm. right? Like you and I, we like to woodwork. I want to build something. Right. I don't get a lot of pleasure just taking it apart. <laughs> right, right. But deconstruction deconstructs for deconstruction's sake. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the even even when we talk today about people deconstructing their faith. You and I have talked about mm -hmm. this in the in, in, in students. Well, I'm deconstructing my faith. Okay. Uh, one, I want to know what parts you're taking out. <laughs> right. But what are you reconstructing it with? Right. I, I I think there is a mentality in critical theory. And, and, and again, I don't think it. I, I know it because they say it. Yeah, they're pretty clear That about deconstruction it. is the thing in and of itself. Our job is to deconstruct. And yeah. so remember, we go all the way back to when we started this and we go back to Kant. Mm -hmm. Kant's our first critical philosopher, right? Mm -hmm. Kant's not trying to just tell you how it is. He's trying to critique everything that went before mm -hmm. him. He's the mm -hmm. first critical philosopher. Mm -hmm. So, you, but, you, that, but can I sit on that for a second? Because I, yeah. I think that for, if we go back to this negotiation piece, this is where, you know, this, when I read Lenin or I read Rousseau, who I think is connected in this way, or even Mao a little bit, there's something that resonates that there's dissatisfaction, right? Yep. And I think, I think this is where Christians get caught up in these ideas, is that they share the dissatisfaction, right? Rightly so, as you said before. Whether they know God or not, Romans 1 is pretty clear that they know of God, right? Yeah. And, they, yeah. and they, want, they want something to be fixed. And I think where Christians can get caught up in this is they get sucked into that dissatisfaction and then that grows in them, and they can start to find all of the spaces of cultural inequity and oppression. I think this is where even Lenin convinced many of the people around him into Bolshevism, and the Bolsheviks became, if not you know, violent to some people, convinced others, because it's not hard to show the inequities of Russian Tsarist society, right? right, right They're right. everywhere, and you can see them. So every time there's a pain, you look within proximity, and you find inequity, and you go, ah, that's the cause. Yeah. And so I think Christians get caught up in that, and what they fail to see at some point is the terms, and I think this goes back to something you said earlier, which is really important. The terms of moral right and wrong here are so disanchored from a transcendent truth, they've been invented or made yeah. around a dissatisfaction. So you almost got this moral shell around a dissatisfied center. And the reference point that this is morally right is the dissatisfaction you're holding. And at some point, while all of that sounds good, if you step back and you look at it, you realize you've decided on what is oppression, You've determined what's morally right or wrong. All of this is invented, yes. even though it resonates with you somehow. But yes. if you step back and say, I, I remember having a debate with someone around, as a pastor, actually, around the ideas of um, social justice. And I, and I said, you know, social justice gets some things right, but it doesn't go far enough. You mm -hmm. say, well, Christians don't care about social justice. Well, if you look at Jesus' call to love your neighbor as yourself, that's, that's a bar so high, social justice doesn't even get close. <laughs> But that, that's far harder. Social justice can be maintained. I can equalize. I mean, get a, get a military in here. We can equalize outcomes right. and jobs and all that. But that is an issue of the heart. So I think what I think where this gets really tricky for Christians oftentimes is they like the terms of it. And even some people got caught up in Lenin. I think even critical theory. They like the terms of the problem. They feel that that's right. But they've limited the solution to, right, how do we ameliorate that feeling? Well, and that goes back to they've limited their their description of the problem. That's right. Yeah. The problem of, you know, of czarist Russia, of oppressed workers, mm. you fill it in the blank, right? Racism, whatever mm. it is. It all comes back to the same thing, is that humans are estranged from their creator. That's right. Amen. That's right. right? I mean, right. there's the problem. There's the problem. There's the problem. And it's it, it's it's a holiness problem. That's right. Um, 
uh, I was recently I was I was grading some papers on Christians trying to think about virtue. Mm-hmm. You know, what is virtue and, right, and, and this great, type yeah. of yeah, and, and and a number of them kind of nailed it and said, well, we can't really talk about as a Christian. You can't talk about this in the abstract. Mm. Developing virtue is part of your sanctification, mm. right? There, mm. there is part of growing in holiness. Right. So, to as for a Christian to just say, "Well, I can, I can develop these virtues, like I can do crunches and get a six pack," <laughs> it's not how it works, That's right. right? That the problem is with me. The problem is spiritual. Right. The problem is estrangement right. from my Creator. My virtues come out of yeah that relationship with the creator and i think that's part of what we're seeing here is that i think the reason we can hear it is oftentimes the things they're dissatisfied with the only reason they're dissatisfied with them in some way is because they have been affected by christian thinking in some way yeah no that's true and so there's a simpatico right right. and they use oftentimes our sort of language yeah uh, of you know oppression and the poor and this type of thing but they be once you move this into the Tupperware bowl of matter and mm-hmm. matter alone, mm-hmm. there is no space to talk about estrangement from a creator. That's right. It's yeah. just a matter of rearranging the right. matter. And if I have that's to right. do it by force, then I will. Right. Um, you might as well, actually. Well, then what other that's, option yeah, do you that's have? All that's left. I mean, if yeah, they're right, right, yeah. What other option? Right. So I think. That's right. But I do think there are people who really do just enjoy being the provocateur. Yeah, they, yeah. they they sort of they. They want to be the the person who's got a pin at a balloon festival, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that's their that's their reason to be, yeah. uh, and they get a sort of identity out of right. that. And because when you get to critical theory and you read Frankfurt School, many of those because they don't want to prescribe, no. because then they think they've become the problem, and and so that's very telling. When, yeah. when you, you you want to tell me what the problem is, but you can't really tell me how yeah. to fix it. Yeah, that's right. Other than just letting people do what they yeah. want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good, and I think I think too the um, the appeal can be at times that the you know since they're looking at the pain and the causes of it, they're not willing to accept anything that's painful, right? In that kind of words, if there's part of oppression somewhere, since that's all in the Tupperware box there is, um, they're not going to be satisfied with any bit of it. Whether that comes down to the language you use, or the way you hold the door for a girl, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And and I think Christians on the other side, because we have a transcendent logic would say, yeah, that's bad, but that's not ultimate, right? Yeah. So so you'd say to someone, yeah, you were oppressed by someone, but the problem is your soul. So don't worry about fixing your boss. First worry about fixing your relationship with God. Yeah. That sounds sometimes, I think I think there's a very clear parallel to what Lenin was dealing with, let's say, a Kerensky government. Yeah. The provincial government trying to hold on to some of the artifices of the old governmental form, mm-hmm. control the military, world war, and whatever. And can excuse some of that going, well, we're still Russia, for heaven's sake, right? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, I want to get rid of things too, but we're still Russia and we still have to hold our property. And I'll, I'll, I'll just consider the um, Brest-Litovsk Treaty that got rid of at least big parts of Western Russia. For Kerensky, he wasn't willing to give up an inch because that's what Russia always is. We're soil. Um, and so you could, as Kerensky, excuse the inequities of Russian military choices and the way we run our military and those deaths because, yeah, I want to fix a lot of things, but some things are more important than the life of my soldier. And the honor of Russia is more important than the lives of my soldiers. Lenin 
So, but, but that's because he's appealing to something that's bigger than the life of the person. Yeah. Lenin really is only appealing to the life of the person the way he understands it. And so give up Russia. Give up soil. I don't care, right? Yes. Um, and so I'm, I'm willing to actually face the problem as it is. And, and, and again, I think, where, where the, I think where the appeal of a Leninist movement, or let's say a, a critical theory movement is, they seem to be the only ones willing to take seriously social injustices. It right. does feel that way, yeah, doesn't they're, it? Yeah. They're willing to look at oppression and call it what it is every single... You're right. They're not building a positive, but they build currency with the population by saying, but I feel your pain, and you're right. And Lenin willing to question the validity of the Russian state. Yeah. I mean, R Russians, at least in, in authority, boyars and leaders would do anything but question that ultimately. Yeah. But he was willing to say, no, there's some things more important than that. And, and again, this to me is where the pull and tug comes from. They're right, and I think critical theory is right to call out the injustices and inequities, but they make them ultimate things, yes, right? right? Gotcha. So that everything has to be expended to stop this evil. Yes. And they've taken something that's a, important but secondary, right? I mean, ultimately, God's glory and, and those things are ultimate to, to other things, but they've turned temporal life into an ultimate. And it's exhausting. Because oh it's just one after the another, it doesn't yeah. stop, yeah. right? It's yeah. just we're continually in a state of that's revolution. Right. So that's, that's the thing, right? Mao's view, yeah. We're continually in a state of deconstruction, and we're continually in a state of revolution. Right. It never stops. It never there's stops. never a, uh, an armistice, right? right. Uh, there's <laughs> never right, a ticker yeah. tape parade. There's no sailors kissing nurses on uh, on Times Square. Right. It's it's just we're always at war. That's right. Um, and we just keep raising up new generations of warriors yeah. to keep moving on the dialectic in this way, yeah. and we never really get anywhere. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I, I think. What, what Lenin does, though, too, is he realizes, maybe he realizes Nietzsche gave him maybe a, a Dakota ring, willpower. Right, right. Right? If you control the power, you, yeah. you have this. But and will I, makes right. And I, might I, makes right, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and so I think you're right, Dan. I do think that uh, it is very appealing. Even we see this amongst young Christian people. Yeah. Some of this language is very appealing because yeah. it's hijacked language in some way. True. As, as weird as that may sound to somebody, when you're concerned about oppressed workers... That, that tends to be a Christian concern. That tends <laughs> right. to be a minor profit On what basis, thing. right? On what other basis would you be building Exactly, that, yeah. exactly. We've said this before. You're not getting there with Aristotle. Yeah. Um, so there, there is a power there. Um, the, other, the other thing, too, I think the critical theory, Lenin, uh, and if I can use a healthy dose of Reinhold Niebuhr, which I like sure. to do once yeah. in a while. Uh, Niebuhr throws this word around a lot, particularly in because he's very much an Augustinian realist. He would look at this type of thing. And at one point, he is a socialist, hmm. and but he realized this isn't going to work. Hmm. And uh, and by by after World War II, he's a full fledged cold warrior because yeah. he thinks you know this this. But but what he throws is the term hubris. Yeah, uh, there's a hubris to this that That's think right. that I we're going to fix it. You yeah. know, we're going to get this right. We're going to do this right. right. And we've we've talked about this before. There's American version of this as sure. well, right? You know, inside every. <laughs> international there is an American, American way to come out. Out. right okay so it, it, it can cut both ways but there's a hubris to, to okay. some of this to think oh well we're just going to kind of be these these philosophers That's on the right. sidelines and just kind of critique everything yeah. um, but we don't really know where it's going there is yeah. real no objective truth other than yeah. the way we see oppression I, I think too as a historian what troubles me a bit about Lenin Stalinism and, and the critical movement is it's not they're not just doing the Hegelian thing where they're looking back in history to see how far we have come, mm -hmm. and they're not just trying to reconstruct reality in the now. Mm -hmm. 
sometimes they want to march into history and reconstruct that reality. Yeah. Uh, and we'll just erase this person from the story yeah. or we'll take these statues down or right. we'll do this, we'll do that because we don't want that narrative yeah, or we're right. going to punish the people back there for where the dialectic has us today. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's, that, that's not helpful. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's helpful. In fact, I would think if you're a good Hegelian, you leave the statues there. You, you leave <laughs> those monuments there to track your progress. Right, if yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting move too that comes with this, and of course, Russia, you know, Stalinism is going to do the same yeah, thing, right? Yeah. We're going to rewrite the past. That's right. Um, that's right. And that was one of Lenin's chief responsibilities was to reconceive of the Tsarist past as not a glorious past that needs yeah. to be held on to, but something that's been superseded, yep. something that's been evolved past, and now something that really is an anchor or a pull. And this is this is true of you're right. This is an interesting feature of most of these revolutions, and. To watch it happen now with critical theory, to me, in one sense, is an all great, a great surprise, is that there is, an, is a need to recast the narrative of the people by recasting the past. So instead of finding in the past some heroes of the, yeah, there were flawed people, Jefferson was flawed, but he did this. The only way we can get here in the revolution is we have to mar them beyond recognition. In yes. The past. So that yes. the whole story gets entirely rewritten so that even them on their terms now is too alien, right? To understand what even Jefferson meant is not worth it. He was an oppressor. He was a racist. Yeah. That now defines all of what Jefferson is. And that's I right. think that's where that's where Lenin's going with the czars. You could say, well, they had some beauty to them, right? Some art to them, some artifice, some, you know, capturing the, the, the Russian identity. No, they now have to be castigated as really redefined as merely just evil oppressors of a, of a pseudo-capitalist state or whatever they want to call them. Right, as, right? You right. can't. You can't find any value in it that you're going to hold on to. And, and that means that the next generation of whatever the critical theory movement is going to do the same thing to this one. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's how you have to do it in order to redefine reality. Well, and, a, and, and so when we look at Lenin, Lenin is doing this in a nation state. Yeah. And so in a sense, uh, Lenin is a nationalist. Yeah. All right. He is a Soviet forbid, nationalist. I don't think he'd admit that. What's that? I don't think he'd admit that. Well, he has to. I mean, well, he doesn't have to, but like... You know, he, he, he's still look, doing it within a national state. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, he's creating an identity for people. He's he's creating a sense. But one of the things you have to have to have for a nationalism to exist is a history. Yeah. And if you're saying this is our nation, yeah. you, you are going to have to go and maybe do some some sort of re redo on your history yeah, so or reinterpret your history in light of what you want yeah. this to be. Yeah. Um, and so, we, but we see this, right? I mean, even our own country, uh, again, I, I spend a lot of time in the 19th century. As America in the 19th century, in the antebellum period, has two nationalisms competing with each other. They're both going back to the past, which actually wasn't that far. Right, right. But they go back into them. the past, and, and really, sometimes they go to the Magna Carta, and sometimes they just go to the Constitution, the Declaration. But they're both going back to the past and rewriting that story. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I think a great example of this is Andrew Stevens, uh, who vice president of the Confederacy. He goes back and says, you know, Jefferson was wrong. All men aren't created equal. Mm. <laughs> right. So he even has to go back into the past and rewrite that to say this is this is true. This is mm. what the Confederacy is going to be. So nationalisms do that. Mm. Right. And I think that's part of what we're seeing. Now, when you move into cultural Marxism, this is just a free agent because yeah. there's no nation state. Right. right. It, 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 it's sort of open source. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like right. like a, a software. Right. Anybody can sort of download this yeah. and plug and play it 
and use it for right. their whatever they think their their nationalism right. is, and then use the toolkit to to, right. to, re, to do everything. Well, this goes back to something you said earlier in this, and that is this idea of what's what's natural, what's um, what's normal to the human experience. That there's almost a universalism baked into this. That somehow all of history is headed here. And in one sense, you're right. Lenin does tie it to the state, as does Stalin. But yeah. I think Lenin, it was interesting, he makes that argument at one point why Brest-Litovsk's giving up Western Russia, and he's like, but in a few years. There won't be states anyway. So what? What does it matter, right? right. I mean, this is where all humanity is going. Well, there you go. There's a Gellian necessity about. Yeah, so this. it's a global nationalism. It's going right? to be global, right? Oh no, no. And I think that's a right way to say it because this idea of globalism, which has this really high currency nowadays, is trying to say we're only interested in the universal kindness of all people, whatever we call it. Yeah. Is in a sense that's just the inescapable future that we're on. So. One thing that scares me about uh, what Lenin did and what others in his ilk did, Mao Zedong, Ho Chi Minh, you can find others, um, is that if this is where the future is actually going, there's nothing you can't do, right? Like, so you could say, well, who's going to be the judge of all of these murders? Well, when we land in Utopia, no one's going to be a judge. They're gonna no one's going to care. No one's going to care. Like, wow, great. You know, it's just, it's not of interest. And I think, I think he did it with such conviction that he did, and this is this you know this is the thing we say Lenin failed by 1921. The state's already collapsing economically. The new economic plans in place. He's reintroducing private property. Oh, Lenin failed. What we failed to realize is the distance between Tsarist Russia in 1916 mm -hmm. and what he created by 1919. Let's give him the end of the Russian Civil War, 1920, mm -hmm. 1921. That is an astronomical um, transformation. Yeah. And that what people look back to Lenin is not necessarily that he and Stalin ultimately failed in the Russian state, but that they succeeded in ending, ending a state entirely built on the traditional conventions of <laughs> Russian Orthodox yes, yes. and built it on this entirely new framework. Yeah. And, and that, I think, convinces a lot in the critical theory that the universal human movement has shifted mm -hmm. out of that conventional traditionalism into the new era. And now it's just sitting, like you said, it now takes a huge push yeah. from these cultural Marxists to now get us to the next stage. But they feel like steps one through 250,000 have been accomplished. Yes. Especially with this one. So 250,001 is going to be a hu another huge marker step forward. And Lenin proved to them it could be done. And and also, too, I think the, the Frankfurt School, uh, they're Marxists, but they're not economic Marxists. No, no, we no. keep saying they're not. Yeah, yeah. And, and even critical theory today, I don't believe they are economic Are you Marxists. saying it's not fair to say cultural Marxists? No, no, no. Yes, I think it is. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I think they're using the tools. I know a lot of people get bent out of shape by that term, but I don't know what else to call it know, yeah. because it's not economic Marx. Right. Marx is, 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 believes it's all economics, but the critical school kind of takes some of Marx's ideas yeah. and, and, and things like alienation and, so, and, and applies Lee, it to yeah, culture yeah, because close. they believe, as you said, that's where the revolution actually happens, yeah. right? If, if you just change the economy... You just change the state, well, you get Stalin, right? right? right but right. if you can change the culture, yeah. uh, that will be... And again, I don't think the, the Frankfurt School has a, a utopianism hmm. the way Marx did. Hmm. Marx clearly has some sort of weird post-millennialism, right? Yeah, some yeah. weird utopianism. Hegel has that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. You think don't see it in the critical theories. I don't. I, no, no. I mean, I think they. Again, I think the it's it's deconstruct to deconstruct, and I think it's revolution to revol to revolt, and it's to mm -hmm. continue chipping away at any form of alienation, mm -hmm. and we just keep moving because if there's no God, right? How can there be a telos? 
and how do we know when we're at the end? Yeah, yeah. Like so, we, we we're just in the in the moment. We yeah. live in the in the progress. And well, I think that that's... that you might be right about that. I mean, I think that certainly is. If I were to, if I I always try to differentiate with students what Mao does with the with the Marxist idea, and he I think he does it more thoroughly than Lenin. This whole cultural revolution, because Mao would say there is no end to revolution. Revolution, you live in the state of revolution. Yes, continual reality. Lenin. I don't know if Lenin, I mean, he died too early to see where he would take the Russian state or the, you know, the, the Russian Politburo. We don't know where it would have gone. But right. in a sense, I think you see that in him, too. Yeah, there is an arrest. I don't know if he was clear about that in his writing, that he didn't see an end to the revolution. I think he saw a global post-millennialism that once what he starts there goes global, it ends. And I think he does write um, cap, uh, his, um, his statement, imperialism, the highest uh, stage of capitalism, that nationalism and discrete states is the highest example of a capitalist state. So once you break that down, it becomes global. That is the end. Now he doesn't say, what will it look like? It'll just be better than what's here. Yeah. So maybe there's a little post mill still wrapped in him. But I think you're right. With the with the Frankfurt School and oh, ultimately yeah. with what Mao does, there isn't a telos landing spot for no, this thing. No. It is a constant revolution that has to be had against. And, and I think... I think once you get to critical theory, the jump we have to make, which we're not making here with Lenin, I think it's a clear connection back to a more biological evolutionary view that the species creature itself is best when it's living out its impulses, which, mm-hmm. which are dampened by civilization. Freud makes that statement in exactly. World War One, Exactly. That exactly. It's, it's, war comes from morality that's imposed on the, on the instincts. And when you impose morality instincts, they lash out in anger and they create war. If you could actually just let the sensual instincts of the creature free, yep. they'd be satisfied, and we wouldn't have property, and we wouldn't have takeovers, or we wouldn't. Well, have we'd wars. have we'd have John Lennon's Imagine. Right. Exactly. No. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, that's, right. That's, that's the right. utopia he wants. That's right. right. Above us is only sky. Imagine there's no yeah. no church. There's no nation. Right. right. That, yeah. That's that's, exactly. that's the hymn. That's yeah. That's right. Right. It so is. if there is a if there is a a telos, that's it. That's right. And I don't think Lennon. I don't think Lenin. John ever got Lennon, that. right? Not, Sorry, yeah, uh, Ivan Lenin. Yeah, I don't think I don't think um, Lenin, the revolutionary, gets there. But I think he does. He does lay out some of the groundwork for how to start thinking that way. Mm-hmm. That that if you actually attack culture, you can actually break down these conventional conventional sources and get to the nut of the issue, which is the equality of humanity, freed from the cultural baggage of tradition and heritage. That that's yeah. where this war has to happen. And that, to me, makes sense of why the critical theorist saw Lenin as a, as a historical marker that this, and especially that they're grappling with that idea in the, in the, in the rise of the nation states, because we know the critical theorists, um, Adorno and Horkheimer, these guys get kicked out of Germany <laughs> as Hitler's coming into power. So now you've got a very, and this is another interesting point, which I don't think we want to get into this today, Mark, but I think what you get in their minds is not only just oppressed oppressor, but a right left bifurcation. That yeah. Yeah. That, that there's right is anybody from king to monarchy to Hitler to capitalism who oppresses. Yes. And the left is anyone willing to stand up to oppression. Because fascism is just another thing you have to fight against. It's nothing, just like Christianity. So yeah. you get this, and I think this is, we have to do this and get to critical theory, is this linguistic lumping of anybody against what they would consider, you know, the freedom of the individual or something or equality. Everything is rightist. And it becomes this oversimplified view mm-hmm. that everything to the right of them is the same. So Hitler is the same as the Tsar is the same as Billy Graham. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, so, right. so interesting conversation with the three of right, us. Right, right, exactly. But I think in their mind, since the values have become so simple, that what, what society is deconstructing these cultural values and creating whatever this is, new freedom of the instincts, de- you know, ending alienation, that anything against that becomes this conglomerate rightist thing. And I think that's what Mao does. Everything's rightist. Well, and it's, anti-revolutionary. It, it gets to 
this sort of algorithm that critical theory has in our culture, right? Look for oppressor. That's it. That's it. You know, look for the oppressed, fight against oppressor. Right. And it's and Very you know, and, and you unnuanced. Exactly. And so I guess the question left on the table here is how do we think Christianly about yeah. Lenin and the Christian and the and the, and the Russian Revolution? Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's where we want to negotiate. And I would say for Christians to, to number one, to try not to oversimplify, even from a Christian perspective. Because yeah. I think what Christians do in moments like this is they hear the word Marx or they smell Lenin or they smell Mao, they go, well, the whole thing's evil. Mm-hmm. I think what Lenin points out are real terrible inequities in Russian society. Yes. And, I, and if we end up telling people everything they said was wrong because we disagree with their metaphysic, yeah. it's fine. We, we end up sometimes downplaying the social injustices and equities that they were calling out, that actually people suffered, and that's a reality. And so I would say the one thing in negotiating this is be able to look at Lenin in the eye and go, you know, you're right about some things. Yeah. I'm okay with that. But I said, but then we have to be really careful that we don't accept the small little dose, right, of poison yeah. where it's a healthy measure yeah. till it kills us. And I think with Leninism, as with critical theory, it's not, it's not a digital all or nothing. It's more like in a very small amount, this is helpful, but it hits very quickly a point where it becomes poisonous. Mm-hmm. And Lenin, I think followers who jumped on, I, I think of the, the Navy who got behind him from Kronstadt. Um, initially in the revolution, we don't like the czar, right? And they, they sail the ships up into Petersburg, which just allows the Bolsheviks to take over. But then Lenin goes to the next step, he goes, now shuts down all political opinion of his own. Mm-hmm. And the Kronstadt sailors go, too much. Yep. Too much now. Okay, now you've gone too far. And I think... I think what happens when you let the camel's nose of Lenin into the tent, mm. it doesn't take far before he takes the tent down. Mm. And I would say negotiating as Christians is be able to hear out some of these things. But when, when what automatically is, what starts to happen pretty quickly is that you de-transcendentalize, if you will, mm-hmm. immoral value in order to solve civic problems. Yeah. He's already too far into the tent. Yeah. And I think a lot of Christian young people get caught up in this. Yeah, my parents missed this and the cold warriors didn't understand what racism was all about. Without knowing it, the camel's too far into the tent. Well, because their biggest fear is to be on the wrong side of history. That's right. That's right. And, and they believe there is such a thing. Exactly. And they and don't want to be that. That's why they need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> and, 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 and and we right. we do you know we do try to help students understand that. Okay, you you realize you're talking Hegelian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but if but it's a great point. If they if you at least have those terms to hear it. Then you'll be a little critical about your instincts, right? When you Correct. jump on and say, this is a problem. Wait a minute. Did I, what do I mean by that? Yes. If I mean it by the way Jesus means it in the way that, you know, mm-hmm. the way that Malachi and Amos mean it. Yeah. Okay, now you're on to something. Yep. But if what I mean better, the terms hijacked by Lenin, yeah. then I find myself by language and a new reality leaving a transcendent universe where I need to be in line with my creator God. Yeah. Right? And I start changing the terms of Christianity to kindness, yeah. niceness, and social justice. All good terms of alienating my creator is the problem. Yes. But they're terrible terms of what their ultimate mean is true goodness is really getting along with my neighbor. Where right. the creator is no longer involved. The, well, I don't even need the creator. You don't need one, right? And so, uh, yeah, and, and I think another another piece, say, thinking Christianly about this, uh, I like that sort of tempered, nuanced uh, understanding of the story. And, and also, too, there's uh, there is a sense of the reason a Lenin is appealing at that time does speak to some of the hurt and the suffering people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. there is a difference. Mm-hmm. It is much easier to sort of sit rationally here. We just both had lunch. Right, and, right. We're not right. hungry. I'm not cold. My kids aren't 
right? I'm going to have a glass of water. Missing. I don't have to. Exactly. And when, when you are just sort of in your wit's end, then you, I think you become much more susceptible yeah. to those That's things. That's right. But, but I also think we have to be careful of anybody trying to recreate the reality of life yeah, that's right. that is different than the narrative of Scripture right. and God. That's right. that's and, right. and that's really something we always have to be yeah. aware of, right? There is a narrative. And uh, again, I go back to Kevin Van Hooser saying, are you gentlemen allowing Scripture to shape your imaginary, Christian, right. your social right. imaginary, or are you allowing your culture to do it? It is, you could see somebody Mm-hmm. who is a Christian in the Russian Revolution, may be saying, well, this is Christian. That's right. right? We're, That's right. We're, we're lifting these people up. and it's, That's right. The, the other thing, too. Well, can I, can I I'm sorry, yeah. Mark, I don't mean to. I, I, I think, I'm hoping listeners hear that very carefully because I think maybe the solution in one sense is always admit the pain, but plug it back into the actual narrative. Yeah. Don't ignore the pain and assume the narrative yeah. doesn't care about it because because God does, in fact, mention all of this and Scripture is more about justice issues. But, you have to plug the injustice you see back into the actual narrative of reality, yep. which is Christ as King ultimately. So I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you, but no, I think that's and, such and, an important it, piece. Yeah, right. And, and the other, and also too with that, uh, you could look at say the the church in Russia being part of the state, yeah. being part of the problem. Uh, and I think we yep, we have to be careful with even evaluating our yeah. our clergy and yeah, stuff because yeah. sometimes. We know as historians, especially church historians, yeah, it's not hard to find. There are times when the church is really baptizing something that is not right. Christianly, doesn't fit into That's the right. narrative, and they should really be the ones who are being prophetic, right? And calling this out. Instead, they are really just kind that's of right. going along with the czars. So. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So, so I think that means, and of course, what we've always said in this whole negotiating piece, Mark, is that it's being Christian isn't simple, and you don't get to boil things down to simple aphorisms and statements. And this is just what you have to. You have to be wise. Yeah. You have to be able to see things wrong. And you have to be humble. And I think you. I think if we settled on anything that defines the critical theory, um, and Lenin is your word hubris, I think that that underlies a lot of this. Even even intending good. There's a hubris not to be humble and submit yourself to the narrative of Scripture and yeah. God's authority, which, by the way, and I say this often to students, the nation states and people that, that cared the most about injustice have done some of the worst evil in human history. Wow. And it's true. The ones that have said, I'm setting out to have a government and state to stop injustice have been the most murderous regimes in history. Um, the ones that just said, I'd like to expand my borders, yeah, there's blood to come out of that. But it's not what you see out of states that have been bent on social inequities hmm. and so and so you have to be careful as a christian that the values they're preaching and what actually happens as a result do not line up hmm. in christ these all line up yeah and that's hard to wait for him in that and to work for him in that but um and but the hubris is dangerous it's business. such a different model right lenin's going to use the army and be you know sort of the vengeance for right, you right Christ allows the evil to crush him. Us is the cross, right? And the Christian goes at social injustice with the cross, not with a gun. And yeah. that's constantly hard for the Christian to do. Yeah. Especially because yeah. hey, we're in trouble. It's easy to talk about it now. But yep. when we're persecuted, we'll we'll revisit this, hopefully with a lot of prayer. Yes. And, and maybe we can listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. That was good. I enjoyed that. I think it took us both places. It took me places in the conversation to, to think things through. Yeah. I always feel like I'm having to run all the time, Mark, and I apologize.